Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischlar, Associate Editor for Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's July 17th, 2008, and welcome to episode number 67 in our series. Tonight's topic is Smart Self-Publishing, and our special guests who will be joining us this hour are Jim and Linda Salisbury of Tabby House Press. You can learn more about our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now tonight we're talking with Jim and Linda Salisbury of Tabby House, an award-winning publishing and book packaging company founded in 1990. They are the authors of Smart Self-Publishing, an author's guide to producing a marketable book. Now in its third edition, this book has been mentioned in both Newsweek and Bottom Line Personal. Jim is the publisher at Tabby House, now based in central Virginia, and was president of the Florida Publishers Association for many years. He and Linda offer self-publishing seminars in libraries, bookstores, and writers groups. They are members of FPA, Publishers Association of the South, and the Independent Book Publishers Association, formerly PMA. Linda is the author of the juvenile fiction book, The Bailey Fish Adventure Series, which has won four national honors. The sixth book in this series will be out this fall, and she has another environmentally oriented children's book to be released soon. She is a former journalist and freelance writer. Well, good evening to you, Jim and Linda. Hi, Michigan. Hello there. Hi, Jim and Linda. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, Victor gave you a pretty good introduction there, but I wanted to start out by asking you a little bit about how you got involved in self-publishing. I was looking at your website, and I saw that you really decided to launch out on your own publishing when Linda's second book was going to be published, and I wondered if something had happened with the first book that made you decide to do that, or, or what made you just decide to go out on your own and self-publish? Well, the first the first book was kind of a, a very amateur effort. Uh, the uh, the part of the publisher or the, the person who was working on that, uh, all all that person really did was to lend Linda an ISBN uh, and very very little knowledge about publishing, uh, which Linda didn't understand at the time. I mean, she she thought everything was going well. Uh, the book did come out. Uh, and it was quite successful because uh, she did a good job of marketing and so forth, Linda did. Uh, then it came time for the second book to come along, and we kind of looked around for somebody that would be able to give us more help with the second book than we got with the first one. We couldn't find anybody that could, uh, and we finally said, well, you know, Linda learned an awful lot about the publishing procedure, working with the printers and uh, the other things with the first book. Let's give it a whirl on our own. So we did. Uh, we applied for our first bank of 10 ISBNs and uh, formed Tabby House, uh, went on and uh, put her first or second book out, uh, and it was quite successful. It turned out very nicely, and people started coming to us and saying, well, gee, you know, you did a good job on that book. Can you help me with ours? And things just grew from there. Uh, since that time, we've put out several books on our own, uh, and the other portion of our business is the, the packaging business where we uh, take care of giving self-publishing authors a good marketable product that they can take out and sell. 
the other factor early on was we became very involved with publishing organizations so that we could learn from experts. And we got wonderful expert advice, for example, from um, Betty Wright and Betsy Lampy at Florida Publishers Association and, and then the uh, National Association of Independent Publishers. And through the seminars that we went to and the research that we did, it really helped us improve what we were doing and uh, got us much more involved in the publishing industry. So uh, Jim started out by saying that pretty much the first thing that your, or the only thing that your first publisher did was provide you with an ISBN number. And I myself have known several authors that have published and they haven't even known enough to get an ISBN number. So <laughs> what, um, what do you think are, the, what are the key things that you do for your clients in terms of making sure that the book conforms to the industry standards and the first thing that we always tell people is that they've got to do the book professionally. And that by that we mean to have proper editing, use the uh, Chicago Manual of Style, use the current Webster's Dictionary, which is a collegiate dictionary, which is in its 11th edition now, I believe, and to have professional cover design to get your credentials, your barcode. We've seen books that have been put out and people are very proud of them. They've spent a lot of money on them, and there's no back cover information, no spine. Um, the, the cover was drawn by a cousin, this kind of thing, and it, it, it just isn't going to fare well in bookstores. You may be able to sell it at a flea market or something, but it's very hard to get any, have any kind of credibility. So you really need to apply for your ISBN to the R.R. Bowker Company. Um, we go through all of this, of course, in our book on publishing, the information's in there, but you need to have these credentials to set yourself as, up as a publisher, and you wear two hats. You, you go from being a writer to being a business person, and that's the business of publishing that, that you have to take seriously and get involved with. Now, if you're just doing a little family history, we still hope you do it well and do it right and have something you can be proud of, but having the, the barcode and the ISBN aren't important if it's just a hundred copies of a poetry book that, you know, you're going to sell at readings, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't need to put the expense into it if, if that's your your marketing goal. So those are important things, and, and to make sure things are done right, we, uh, we just stress that over and over and over. So what is the way that um, an author should begin? For example, I, I know that there's lots of print-on-demand companies out there. There's people that say that they're self-publishing companies, we still hear the term vanity press. How, how do people distinguish between all those different ways of publishing and determine what's the right one for them? Well, they've got to kind of look at what a professional publishing company does. Uh, a professional publishing company, say Simon Simon Schuster or John Wiley or any of those big companies, they have a lot of departments. Uh, they don't just buy books or bring them out and send them out to be printed, which is essentially what the POD and the uh, e-publishers and so forth do. They basically are printers. They are subsidy printers. Uh, they are not publishers. Uh, even if they do uh, have a huge bank of ISBN and they will uh, place an ISBN on, the, on their client's uh, uh, work, uh, that, that really doesn't make them a publisher just because they do that. Uh, these large companies have art departments, they have design departments, they have typesetting departments, they have editorial departments, and so forth. And in order to really get your book published or to publish your book properly, you have to keep all those things in mind. 
You cannot just type your book on a word processor and send it to an ebook publisher and expect to have it being the type of thing that bookstores will want. Um, it just doesn't happen that way. Uh, the book needs to be professionally edited uh, for style. It needs to be edited in the case of, uh, particularly in the case of fiction, to be sure the storyline works out right, the timeline is good, the characters are well developed, and so forth. Um, along the way, then uh, the cover has to be designed uh, properly by a professional who knows the business and knows what kind of a cover should be on that particular genre of book, uh, something that's going to be attractive. Uh, as Linda said, you've got to get the proper credentials, that is, your, your uh, ISBN, uh, publishers cataloging in uh, uh, publication, if possible. Uh, Library of Congress cataloging in publication is, is pretty much out of the reach of uh, the self-publisher, but they can get publishers cataloging. Uh, all these things uh, count toward making the book a professional product. Uh, properly typeset, not done on a word processor, uh, good DPI, good photographs, or whatever that may go into it. Uh, all nonfiction books should have an index uh, prepared by a professional indexer, not just the one that comes off the word processor. Uh, something that is really done well makes it worthwhile. Uh, and then the, the quality of production makes a big difference, too. Uh, some, some printers, whether they be digital printers or offset, uh, do a pretty sloppy job. Uh, they're not fussy about the paper stock they use. And, uh, you need to be very careful about utilizing a local printer for that kind of job. A book manufacturer is somebody who will spot something wrong with your files, with your design, and call you up and say, look, this is not right. You've got a problem. Uh, we had uh, one time a uh, uh, the text on a spine got put on backwards just inadvertently was on backwards and our book manufacturer called us and said hey guess what your text on the spine of that book is upside down uh, and we were able to correct that but if that had been a local printer or an ebook printer uh, it would have run through just like that and it would have come off press looking rather strange with the spine upside down so these are these are all things people need to take into consideration uh, when they're when they're trying to do their own publishing their self-publishing and and if they can't do those things themselves, or they don't have the resources to do those things uh, themselves, if they don't know a real book editor, they only know somebody that took high school English or is a retired English teacher, uh, then, you know, along the way they've got to look up some professional help. And that's where a good book packager can come in and, and really be an assistance. Uh, <laughs> the people... Uh, Linda, do you have anything to add to that? I was going to say too that one of the problems with the ebook and uh, and vanity presses are that they will apply their own ISBN to your book, and the publisher is the one that the the publishing imprint that is in that book, the the ISBN of record, it has the rights to reprint that book. So you lose control if if it's not your ISBN and you as a publisher. And uh, somebody else has that because it means you may not be able to get it back to them in a timely fashion if you're not satisfied with the product or the marketing that's going on. And I've also seen some of the ebooks where they've applied their logo, their company logo, logo to the back cover, and that makes it less professional also. So these are things that, that you need to know about. How is this book going to look when it comes off press from somebody? What are they doing to it? Will you have any final say? Are you involved in the 
and how it comes out. Um, so uh, these, these are all factors, too. Plus, to be where we always are concerned about being aware of promises that are made to do marketing on your behalf, which uh, may or may not happen, and you're, you're paying uh, usually substantial amounts to have to, to work with some of these groups. All right, let's talk about, you always hear the phrase, know your market. How can I, as a self-publishing person, get my hands around everything I need to know to uh, have a book that conforms to what's expected in the marketplace? The first thing we usually suggest is know who your reader is going to be and who the buyer is going to be. For example, the reader or the intended audience of a, of a children's picture book is obviously a child, but a five-year-old is usually not the buyer of that book. Right. So you've got two different um, people involved with that right there. You've probably got a grandmother or a mother buying the book, and the price will have something to do with it, but then you have a child who's a reader. So the format, the books have to have a certain look to them for the different genre. The covers have to have a certain look for them. Uh, the language has to be age-appropriate. And we've seen a lot of self-publishers of picture books, for example, who, if we say, what age is this book for, they will say, well, all ages. <laughs> and that's truly. And, and, it, and it turns out that it's a very uh, uh, messy kind of book because they, the language may be far too advanced for a small child. Uh, the picture, or they'll have a, conversely, they'll have a book where the language, the pictures are too simple for an older audience. You're, you're, you know, it's a picture book format, but a text that goes along with a child who might be a fifth grader. And that's going to just kill the book right there. You need to really hone in, be specific, and know your market. The market also will de determine the size of the type, for example. Um, older readers need a slightly larger type, usually, those of us with trifocals. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to struggle too hard. The weight of the book may be a factor. Uh, the size of the the size of the book. We somebody gave us a well-meaning relative gave us a Civil War tome a few years ago that you can barely lift to put in your lap. Well, that book has not been opened very often because <laughs> it's too heavy to deal with. We can use it for a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, I have used it for reference from time to time, but it's a chore to get it out. And but it's you know it's a terrific book, but it's not something you're going to carry around or, or use very easily. So there, that's the kind of very preliminary marketing. Um, the, the, what's in the book, even if it's an adult book, if you're if you're reading, if your readers are a wholesome family group, you don't want to have some off-color story in there. And 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 that's what a good editor will also tell you. Like, like wait a minute, this this really doesn't belong. So that's the first part of the marketing um, piece of of the project. And then you have to go and say, all right, I'm I'm going to go ahead. I've I've identified these these groups I know who's going to buy my book it's you know women who are going to buy this book for their husbands or vice versa and then you're going to say well how am I going to reach those people that's the second part of it and you reach it through review sources that you re reach them through every possible avenue for sales you reach it through bump you know putting magnetic signs in your cars you you reach it in every possible way you can to get your message out that you are the author of this particular book you, you don't spend a Saturday in the summer if you're in a tourist region, not out where the tourists are, trying to sell your book, unless you're doing a book about skiing and you're at the, you know, you're <laughs> Lake Anna, Virginia, so you have to, have to be realistic about that, but you, you identify those avenues, and we're, in fi we're finding more and more that it's, people are very successful if they do not 
worry particularly about getting into the chain stores. It's a very, very hard market to get into. And uh, look at your regional opportunities. Look at your school opportunities. If you have a children's book, uh, if you have a book that's religious, go to churches, go to Kiwanis clubs, do whatever you can to get out there with your book with the people who very well may be there to buy it. And make them a good price when you're out talking. Give them a special price for the day. And and you'll still do better than if you're going through a distribution system. Great. I really love that you said about uh, not getting concerned about uh, getting in the national chains. It really can be a dead end for a lot of people. And so, yeah, that's a very good point. Let's talk a little bit about what can I do as uh, a self-published author in terms of pre-publication publicity work? That's, that's not a, a difficult thing to do. Uh, there are a lot of places that you can get uh, publicity, but you've got to be very careful uh, with your pre-publication uh, publicity that you don't <clears throat> jump the gun and have people coming out looking for your book before it's available. True. Uh, we did that way, way back in one of our very early books, almost 20 years ago. Uh, we were very proudly... Uh, looked around and got uh, an offer from uh, Baker and Taylor to buy a bunch of books and so forth, and, and we immediately uh, packed them up and sent them off and had press releases and so forth and didn't realize that it was going to take six or eight weeks from the time we sent the books out <clears throat> until the time that uh, uh, Baker and Taylor actually had them on their shelves and people at bookstores could order them. And uh, people went into the bookstores uh, in, in our area and tried to order the book, and they were told that it, they couldn't, uh, that it wasn't in the in the list. Yeah. Uh, and by the time it actually was in the list, a good part of those people had forgotten about it, and they never did go back. And uh, uh, so we we ended up getting about 50% of the books that we sent to Baker and Taylor back as returns, and uh, that was not good. The other thing that you can do is identify those review sources that want your book three months before um, it's due to come out. Um, those are generally your trade sources, the trade magazines, because they want to tell readers about a book that is forthcoming. And you can usually find out about them online. We mentioned a number of them in our book, too. Forward Magazine is one, and they're very good with independent uh, presses. Um, uh, and there, there's some others. Midwest Book Review, although they want a book afterwards. A lot of them will want a finished product, and but there are certain ones that want it three or four months ahead of time if, if, if they're going to review it. Um, and reader reviews would be another, would take it afterwards. They want a finished book, there's, I believe. There's a little bit of a difference there. There are, there are reviewers that review for the trade, and there are reviewers that review for the public. And uh, the reviewers that review for the public are basically those of the newspapers, the magazines, and so forth. They're not really interested in having your book until after it's available to the public through the bookstores. But the others, like, like Forward Magazine or Publishers Weekly, if you're lucky enough to land a review there, uh, those, those people want it three to four months prior to publication so that the bookstores can get an idea of what's coming out. But the newspapers, you want to hold off on publicity for newspapers and magazines, um, until after the book is out and it's it's available to the public. Otherwise, as, as Jim said earlier, it's just lost. They can't get it. They can't find it. It's not in the bookstores. Um, and they'll forget about it. That's the other problem. So you don't want to waste your, your capital, your, your bookstore and uh, newspaper capital by jumping the gun and getting stuff out too soon. Not to say the minute your books arrive, you can't go rushing around and, 
and getting them in stores that you've already talked to. And, and a lot of regional stores will be happy to carry them, at least to give it a whirl. We, we, what we have done with, with my book series is offer um, a 50% discount to the retail outlets for cash, for a cash, not a consignment deal. And then we, we also guarantee that if uh, for any reason it's not working out in that venue, we will take the book back. But this is directly through us. It's not through a wholesaler or anybody else. And, and so they're, they're comfortable with that. And so we, um, we have done very well with that. We've only had one, one venue so far that, that because of the nature of their business, it wasn't working out. We took the books back. But we've re, we restock all the time. Yeah, those terms are excellent. I can't imagine a bookstore turning those down. Uh, you, well, these are convenience stores. These are marinas. We're in a tourist area, oh. and my books are set in the region. But even, even children's bookstores and other bookstores that will buy directly from us, we offer those terms because they're dealing directly with us, and we get more than if we were going through a wholesaler or a distributor, if they were ordering from Baker or Taylor or anybody else. Right. It's a better deal for us. Good. It's a good deal for both because... If they uh, if they deal through the uh, wholesaler, they'd get a 40% discount from list, and uh, with us they get 50. And if we were selling to the wholesaler, uh, we'd get 60%. We'd have to give them 6%. This way, we get away with 50. So it's kind of a, a good thing on both sides. But at the same time, anytime we can sell, and we we counsel our clients this way also, anytime you can sell a book for full price or a dollar off at a festival or uh, the street fair, anything like that, you're you're way ahead of the game. So we do a lot of that too. And same with schools and school discounts. Yeah, we probably we probably sell 50 percent of our books at least uh, hand sell at school things and uh, uh, festivals, street festivals and fairs and various and sundry flea markets and things of that nature that we work from early spring until late fall. Uh, the uh, we also give a special price at virtually everything. Uh, Linda's books are uh, marked $8.95, and to avoid uh, having to make change for sales tax and things like that, we give we sell the books for $8 a piece. And we do pay the sales tax. Though. Oh, yeah, we pay the sales tax. <laughs> we just don't uh, collect it at the event because it's too many that, that nickels way, and dimes. That way we're able to, to, to uh, uh, be regarded as a hero, so to speak, because we're giving them a very special price for that particular event. Uh, sometimes when we go to an event, we offer to give uh, uh, a dollar back or whatever to the organization's charity for every book that's sold, and we use full price for something like that. We sell it for $8.95 and give back a dollar to the Rogerian's charity or whatever it may be if it's a program at a Rotary Club. That's always a good incentive, too. Yeah, those are all, all great tips. Um, Tyler, over to you. Well, with all this talk about discounts and um Selling the books at special prices, I, I know that one of the big problems lots of authors have is they're not really mathematicians, and they have a difficulty <laughs> trying to decide what price to put on their books, and are they going to charge too much for the books, and then just, I know myself, selling books at, at fairs and festivals, people come up and ask you how much the book is, and I always, there's this nervous part of you that's afraid to tell people how much your book is. So how, how do you determine what is a, is a good price for the book that people will pay for and at the same time will still make a profit off of it? Well, that's a tough thing to do. Uh, generally speaking, to get a fair price for the book, you've got to go to the bookstore. You've got to look around the bookstore at books of the same genre and about the same size, uh, same type of cover, soft cover, hard, whatever it may be, and kind of get an average of what those prices are. 
That's the price. You know, it doesn't make any difference how much the book costs you. That's the price you can sell it at. And when you're doing your work with the book, as, as uh, you, I guess, Tyler, know, particularly as an author, there are certain expenses that are incurred in getting your book ready for press and then, of course, for printing. Uh, there, there are charges by the cover designer. There's editorial charges. There are uh, design charges and things of that nature that all go into the cost of that first press run. Uh, then uh, uh, you've got the cost of make ready at the printer and then the cost of the actual printing. And it turns out from our experience that if you look at the prices of the books on the shelf and decide what your book should be, uh, and just to say offhand, uh, most of the books of the same size and, and type as yours uh, are going to be, say, $14.95, call it $15. If you're going to try to sell through the book trade, through the wholesale and so forth, you're going to have to be able to divide that cost that uh, retail price by five uh, at the very, very least. And when you do that, you'll come up with a price of $3. And that is the maximum price that you can pay for your book per copy and still be able to sell through the book trade through a wholesaler and make a little bit of money. Okay, that's, that's just the way it is. Now, how do you get to that $3 cost per copy? Well, if you're working offset press, the more copies you print, the lower your unit cost will be. It'll cost you more money for the press run, but your lower your unit cost will drop uh, because in it also in in your offset press there's make ready at the printer. There are certain charges that need to be taken care of. They're, they have to clean the uh, uh, press and they have to put the plates on it and they have to register the plates and they have to wait for the paper while they're getting everything set up and the, the density proper and all the rest of it and all that costs money. Uh, and uh, uh, once they start to run the book. It's a cost of, of ink, press time, and paper. And the more copies they run, the less it costs you per unit. And the further out your early costs for editorial and so forth are spread out. And where if you're going to have a 1,000 copies of your book printed and your total costs of everything, including your cover design and so forth, say comes to, uh, say comes to $6,000 and you have a 1,000 books printed, you've got a $6 per book cost. But if you have 2,000 books printed, it might cost you, instead of $6,000, it might cost you 6500 or 6800 And so your price is coming down. If you have 2,500 books done, it might cost you $7,000 and so forth. Uh, and uh, uh, your cost per copy drops, and eventually it will drop down where you get to the $3 mark that you can sell it through the wholesale trade to a bookstore. Of course, on the other hand of that uh, coin, the more books you have, the harder you're going to have to work to build up your publicity and your marketing and so forth to get them sold. But there's no way that you're going to be able to go through an e-book publisher or whatever and print 100 copies of your book and be able to sell them and recoup your costs. It just isn't going to happen. Right. Absolutely. And that's one of the beauties and pitfalls of the digital productions is that you can have just a few copies printed and that's great for a lot of people they have a family history they have a book of poetry they want to try out a children's book that they've done but at the same time those few copies of 50 copies or 100 copies absorb in that first print run all the costs of producing that book and 
it makes it you never you never can put a price tag of forty one dollars on a hundred and eight page book and expect anyone to get it. But you just have to bite the bullet on that and say, well, this is what I want to do. This is a book I've always wanted to give to my relatives or something like that. But if you're if you're in it to be a business and to make money, you really have to go the other route and have more copies printed. Yeah, well, talking about reprinting copies, um, I, I want to ask you, Linda, specifically about your book series and how, like, how you decided to keep writing books in the series, I, and are you finding that your sales go up each time you come out with a new book? I assume your earlier books take off, and then you need to reprint copies of those. And yes, do, do you think that's ultimately an advantage, or is there a point where, like with a series, the sales might actually start to drop off? They haven't so far, but I've always, I, for, I've pledged from the beginning that if I felt that the series was losing its punch and its value and it was no longer working, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write any more in it. Um, I, I don't want to just become a hack because it has appeal, you know, to whatever. Um, but the, the books, we have reprinted, I think, two of the books, um, and we of the five in the series now, we've done over 10,000 copies, and one does sell the other. People will buy all five, then they'll come back and buy five for somebody else in the family, and they'll buy another five for themselves um, because they're consecutive. They have characters that are they're interesting and engaging. It's like a mini soap opera. I, I like to think of it that way, where people want to know what's going to happen next. I'm already, people are begging for book six, which will be out uh, in time for the holidays. So, yes, one sells another, but that's also true even if it's not a juvenile fiction or not a fiction series. People like an author or they have a topic that that is of interest and they'll look for something else. We all read that way. We we see something we like of one author and we say, well, let's try another one. And that, you know, by that author. And sometimes they're, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So, but yes, I think it's very important and it makes for a very nice display in the stores. It may start to drive the stores crazy when we run out of room in the rack we currently provide them. <laughs> that may limit how many books I sell. Right. Yeah, I, I know that feeling from going to book signs. I have four books out, and I, I keep thinking, well, what am I going to do when I get more? Where mm-hmm. am I going to put them all? And then I've started an, uh, doing another book that's not in the series, and I don't know yet if, if that'll be a single a single book or if there'll be more about this particular character. I'll have to see what the reaction is. Um, but, yeah, it becomes... You know how it is. Everybody wants, well, when's the next one coming out? So you're kind of locked into um, that joy and that fear of <laughs> fear of success and fear of failure right. simultaneous. Now, we, we talked a lot about um, selling regionally at the book at book fairs and festivals and not trying to get your book into a national bookstore, but, um, and, and partly, too, I think that's logistics. You can't you know, be running around the country delivering your book everywhere, but how about selling your book online? Have you had oh, much yeah. success with the web? Some some success. Uh, it, what we've done is that we, we are uh, associates with Amazon, uh, and we have our books on Amazon, uh, uh, of course, and also with BN.com. Uh, this gives us an opportunity to tell people wherever we happen to be or wherever we happen to advertise, that they can get the book online, that it, that it is available, and, of course, that it is, since they're, they're all listed with uh, Ingram and Baker and Taylor, uh, they can go into any bookstore and order the books. Uh, we don't try to get chain stores to stock them, 
and obviously we can't uh, go around to all the independents in the country and, and uh, try to talk them into carrying, even though they can order them from the wholesalers. Uh, but most of our most of our sales are uh, basically hand sell uh, through uh, these school programs. Uh, we've we've many times sold uh, well over 200 books at a uh, school program. Uh, what we do there normally is that Linda gets the uh, invite to go to, to talk to the kids, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, uh, about uh, the uh, the creative writing process and how writers work and uh, how to how to write books and, and what her motivation was and so forth. And it's a program the kids really really like. And what we do is to send uh, little brochures into the school prior to our visit and ask that the teachers that are involved hand them out to the kids the week of her uh, appearance there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that gives the, uh, the kids something to take home, and there's a little order sheet on the back of it, and they come in the day of the uh, program, and after the program, teachers get them to line up, and they come through a line, and first thing they do is give me their order sheet and the check, and I take that and give them the books that they're supposed to have. And oftentimes the teacher or I will write down their name the way they want it to be autographed on the book uh, on a little on a post-it. Uh, we put that right on the top of the book, and then Linda sees them uh, and autographs each of their books for them and talks to them for a few minutes, and then they head off back to class again. And that kind of thing works out very nicely. Uh, the kids are happy, the parents are happy, the teachers are happy. Uh, and at the end of the day, as we're counting cash books, <laughs> we're happy. And it's not uncommon that I'll get a follow-up order from a school after kids have realized they didn't bring their money in or somebody wants more of the books than, than they had purchased the day of that, so we, we make arrangements to get the books there. So it's uh, reading, getting people reading is very, very important to me, and that's, that's one of the, the goals of, for me to be an author and to reach out to the schools and have both boys and girls reading and, and enjoying a series. And that, that, that's, the t that's the top for me. And plus, and you probably happened. build a, a good relationship with the school. They keep asking you back every year. Well, these are schools all over, the, all over, not just one school. So, yeah, and going back to the, the schools, I've you know, been in various states. And uh, one school, and I, I don't even know how they heard about me, contacted me for next March already, and they're thinking of giving... A copy. They haven't decided which of the series to each of their students. Now that 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 to me is very nice, and they want me to come and speak three different programs that day. So that's the kind of thing you look for. Is but you know it's great. Yeah. When it when it comes to the 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 chains and so forth, we're starting to talk about that. Uh, most authors don't realize the uh, the difficulty involved in getting a chain interested in their book. Uh, in order to do that. They really have to have a lot of money behind them. Uh, after all, keep in mind, a bookstore does nothing but sell books to customers. Uh, they're not promoting the book. They are waiting for people to come in the door and ask for it. And it's up to the publisher to create that demand. If the publisher can create the demand and get people to walk in the bookstore's front door and say, I want to buy this book, that's wonderful. But to try to do that on a national scale that would interest, or even a, a large regional scale that would interest a chain store, is tremendously expensive. We're um, talking, you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand yeah, dollars. So it's advertising, print ads, uh, trailers on the uh, on the TV, and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, that does not come cheap, 
Yeah. And if your book doesn't sell, it gets returned. If it doesn't sell, it gets returned. In order, if you do have the demand uh, that you build up there, you're going to have to uh, run a, a twenty to fifty thousand copy run in order to satisfy the demand. And if that starts and you don't have that, you're never going to get that print, the, the, that copy run off press uh, in time to fill the demand at the store. So you know you're kind of chasing your tail. There's nothing that beats local hand selling and having a good time at it. Wow, that's really uh, really good advice. I, uh, have you guys approached libraries in the same way that you approach schools? Oh, yes. We, we offer them a 40% discount, which is better than they would typically get uh, through the uh, distribution network and do programs at libraries also, and, and that makes them very happy. I just had a, a wonderful Saturday with a, with a library, and they, the librarians were all sitting with the children, <laughs> Uh, listening to the program and buying books and and uh, their plans to do more with, with several libraries. So, yeah, that's where that's where readers are too. Great. I get a lot of questions from people who want to do children's books, and I don't really understand how does the author make arrangements with the illustrator. How does that take place? Typically, first of all, you have to find an illustrator and find out their charges. When we're working with with uh, people who we've, we've we've worked with authors, we've produced a number of books for people that are author illustrator combos when they come to us. Uh-huh. It's all already been worked out. They had, but then occasionally we get somebody that says, "Well, I don't have an illustrator." We can put them in touch with a few people. We can give them some websites to go to, um, but we typically don't get in the middle of it because if I said the dog is short and shaggy. And I pass that information to you. By the time it gets to the illustrator, you know, you're, you've got a third person in there trying to explain something, and it's better for, for the author and illustrator to work out these details together. But again, it's important to get somebody who's, who's a professional, who understands what they're doing. They're not just uh, out of high school. There can be some very good artists, but somebody that really knows what they're doing for a finished product. And that the orientation is proper on a page. You don't want somebody to ha- be drawing on an eight and a half and eleven sheet of paper turned sideways when the book is going to have the other orientation because you're going to end up with a little drawing in the middle of the page. <laughs> yes. We've seen this, believe me. <laughs> um, also, you need to know what kind of materials work best in a, in a book. We had one book that we tried to work with with fabulous, fabulous artwork, but it was all done in fine colored pencils mm. and by the time that book went to press it was mud it was yeah. the, the lines were much too fine and the illustrator didn't understand that she was doing beautiful artwork but it didn't translate well to a printing process and this was color printing that was done in hong kong so it was you know very professional printers it was just the problem with the process and we've also had we were working with one um, author illustrator combo and we told the illustrator to use pen and ink, and the author said, oh, that'll be too dark, and told her to do it in pencil. Well, it was just a you know, graphite pencil. <laughs> you couldn't even see it on the pages. So the the illustrator ended up having to redo it all, and the author was just sort of, I guess, having to pay a second time, too. But, you know, people people get something in their head, and they don't understand the, the printing process, too. So it's important to, to look for people and to find out what they charge, uh, see if you can put together, and we always suggest this with editing also, any aspect of a job, put it together as a per page or per drawing um, price 
so that you're not paying by the hour because you get eaten alive uh, if you go if you go by the hour. But let you know go over all the parameters and then have a work for hire agreement with your illustrator. Right. You want to have that for your own protection. So that's a fairly simple thing just, to do. Just to just an explanation for the listeners uh, that that might happen to tune into this. A work for hire uh, is something that gives the copyright. Uh, and the right to use the drawings that the illustrator does uh, without any any uh, strings attached. It gives that right to the author. Uh, in other words, the, the illustrator is in hire or in the hire of the uh, author as an employer. Uh, and that, that once they're in the they're in the employ of the author, then the work that they do belongs to the author, not to the illustrator. Otherwise. The illustrator might say, well, I've got copyright on, on those drawings, and now you are using them to make little dolls and uh, T-shirts uh, t and things of that nature uh, and making a lot more money on your series or on your book because you're selling all these little things that go along with it, uh, and I want part of that money because that's my design. So you need to work all of that out in advance. And speaking of T-shirts, it's not a bad idea. We discovered um, actually through a T-shirt shop where I was selling books the idea came up to do T-shirts to go along with my series. The first book in the series, and remember this is a children's book, is called The Wild Women of Lake Anna. <laughs> and the T-shirt shot said, you really need to have T-shirts to say The Wild Women of Lake Anna. We live near Lake Anna. So we did, and they still sell like hotcakes. They sell in, in shops all around the lake. We sell them at festivals because everybody wants to be a wild woman. Which is really has nothing to do with the story, <laughs> but it, it has to do with the title. Sure. And it's, right. people buy them so they can all go on a cruise wearing these T-shirts. We have my grandma's a wild woman. We have my wife is a whole bunch of them that we take out and, and sell and make extra money on that. Sometimes more on T-shirts than we do on books. Yeah, we also we also have T-shirts that we that we give away uh, when uh, when people buy a full set of books. Uh, and those are T-shirts for kids only that say, I'm hooked on Bellyfish Adventures. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we we made a deal with a T-shirt guy uh, locally uh, and was able to get the uh, uh, the T-shirts for about $4 a piece. And when we give them away uh, with, a, with a purchase of a full set of books, it's actually less money given away uh, with the T-shirt than it is to discount the books. Yeah. So again, and it's and, advertising. Yeah, they, right. The kids wear it, and they, the kids at school ask, what are the Baileyfish adventures and so forth. Well, that works out nicely. Or when we're doing, and, and you know, we, we always give a gift basket when asked to Relay for Life or any of the other local charities, and we'll tuck in one of those T-shirts with the books, and that just makes a nice community gift, too. Yeah, those baskets and things are good places to get rid of your stuffs and things of that nature. You know, so long as they're not too badly beaten up, it doesn't matter. Right. Wow, you guys have just given us so much great information. <laughs> this has been a, a really great uh, interview. Can you give us your websites so our listeners can uh, check in? Yes. Our uh, yeah, the, the website is uh, www.tabbyhouse.com. That's T-A-B-B-Y-H-O-U-S-E, Tabby House. Okay. And if people are interested in... Uh, how we happen to pick that name, they can go through the website and pop through it, and then we find one page called History. Uh, it'll tell you all about how we got the name. And in addition, um, I, I think we passed on to Irene that uh, for any readers or listeners that are interested, uh, we would be very happy to give them a free copy of Smart Self Publishing, uh, 
if they would be so kind as to send us a check for $6 to cover shipping and handling. So if they will do that, we will send them a book. And we will probably might even be able to get Linda to autograph it. Probably both names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's P.O. Box 544 Mineral, M-I-N-E-R-A-L, Virginia, 23117 for that special free book deal. And uh, my children's book series is www.baileyfishadventures.com. Really cool. Well, thank you again, uh, Jim and Linda. Well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. Okay. You are a load of information. We really appreciate it. That's okay. We're happy to pass it on. That's one of the reasons that we got into this business is to keep people who were aspiring self-publishers from getting themselves stuck by somebody that's out there with a scam. And uh, anybody that we can help to avoid that, help them come up with a good product uh, that they can either have for their family or for this trade or for regional sales, like, you know, that that makes us feel good. Yeah, and they can email us uh, if they have specific questions to tabbyhouse at gmail.com, and we're always happy to answer questions and talk to people. Great. Well, we'll be putting all that up on the post with the podcast, and we'll be back on the air August 8th, 2008 when our topic will be getting your book into a national bookstore. And our guest who will be joining us is Joe Virgil. You can learn more about all our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. For reader views, this is Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.